Milton Babbitt. God damn it, man. Milton Babbitt. Okay, so go ahead. Number three for you. I think... Um, of conductors that, that come to mind over the last 60 years, uh, Valerie Giergif. Ah, okay. See, I wanted still, to do one... Still currently active. Yeah. And I tell you, I mean, I, I've, I've known the opera Kovanshina for a long time, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, you used to have an old Melodia recording of it from Russia, and it was interesting. And um, But I, I was able, I actually got to hear him conduct it in London when the Kirov came on their first summer tour uh, in the late 1990s. I think it was right around 2000. Okay. They came to London, and they, they brought Kovanshina, um, Mazeppa, uh, Semyon Kotko, and War and Peace. Uh, Semyon Kotko is a, a very rare uh, Prokofiev mm -hmm. opera. And I didn't hear that, but I did hear the other three. And Kovanshina can be a very long evening. <laughs> but let me tell you, he knew how to conduct it and mm -hmm. knew how to move it along. And just like Knoppertzbusch, who it's been said, you know, knew how to how to if he if he wanted to go slow in certain places because he knew how to go faster in others right that's an, a critical thing for it a is. conductor yeah. and and Giergif no, knew that and made that one of the most exciting evenings I've ever mm -hmm. had in a theater it was dynamite yeah of the, of the conductors currently that are still conducting he's one of the few that is a master in both the concert hall and the opera house yeah yeah there's not that many Barenboom who else? That's a master. Not Simon Rattle. He's not an operatic master. Um, you might say um, Yannick Nese Sagan, but I don't really know his work that much because he's at the Met in Philadelphia. Well, I um, guess I guess Dudamel. Is, I guess Dudamel's yeah, going for that mantle. Yeah. I, he maybe he is. <laughs> maybe, but do you, I hope for his sake yeah. he gets. It. I hope for all of our sake yeah. he actually achieves it. Yeah, but of, of the ones, can I say as far as. This is something Ferruccio Furlanetto mentioned as well when I, inter I got to interview him. Um, because he got his break from Foncarion in Don Carlo. Yes, yes, he yes. He said, I went to bed and nobody knew me. And the next night the world knew me. Because Foncarion had him cover King, uh, what's his name, in Don Carlo. King... Oh, King Philip. Philip. Philip, Philip yeah. yeah. Um, and the... The bass had stepped out, and Foncarion called him up, brought him in, coached him, and he went on at the Salzburg Festival, Easter Festival, mm -hmm. and the world knew Ferruccio Furlanato at that point. And out of that story, he said the only person currently conducting who can get a project done anywhere close to the way that Foncarion could get a project done is Gergiev. Yeah, yeah. I remember once... Because they did Don Quixote. Ferruccio wanted. Now, San Diego Opera had a donkey show as well, but it was Gergiev who drove that. Right. I, I remember once back in the. By Massenet. In the late 90s, I, I got to hear Gergiev can, uh, rehearse uh, because I, I, had a, uh, I knew someone who was on the, um, on the depth list. Uh, for one of the orchestras, mm -hmm. and uh, we, they were he was re he rehearsed. I forget which orchestra it was now. But he rehearsed them down at the Blackheath uh, Concert Halls, which is in southeast London. Um, 
and that was quite an it was the Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet it was a, uh, that was a very exciting thing to just to get to watch him work mm. um, and talk to the orchestra yeah. he's uh, a master <laughs> it was it, it is and, no, then, and I've talked to people who played under him they don't like it well but maybe not but results. man does, does it does he get results yeah. boy does he get results yeah that that <laughs> Not sure what that is, but whatever would, it is. Yeah, they it, ripped Lemelian Rousselon in half when they came and played it here. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Craig and I, my, we weren't sitting with this, but when that, that first string... We looked at each other like, did they just rip the universe in two? Yeah. Because it was so, oh man, it was thrilling, and, and you know, granted, they've that the, the Kirov Orchestra has probably been playing that since they were, you know, four years old. Knee high to a married grasshopper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like Gergiev as a pick. Yeah, no, he's phenomenal. And you know who else does? Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, whatever. There's, yeah. He sure does the business. Yeah. You know who else would have liked my Foncarion? Himmler, so yeah. Well, go. he was because he, 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 he Himmler played Foncarion on to put pressure on the Fur Bungler, and Foncarion did have. This is what I want. Sorry to back go back to to Herbert Foncarion. Wait a minute, we're we're gonna have we're we're gonna do a time slip here. Yeah. So Herbert Foncarion had a Nazi card, right? He had to have yes. a card in order to get his position. So he's, right. he was, he was Himmler's, he was Himmler's protege. Well, Hitler was backing him. This was in the 30s. Yeah. You had to join the party to get a position in Austria. I think I can't remember if it's Ulm or Aachen. I think he was in Ulm and he wanted to get the position in Aachen, but in order to get that position, he had to join the party, so he did. Um, and then Himmler started playing him off. But in 1942, Herbert von Karajan married a half-Jewish woman. And this is the story I want to know. Her family survives the war doesn't go to any concentration camp I want to know how much they paid Herbert von Karajan mm, to mm. use his influence to save their family that's complete conjecture but I think it would make a fantastic well, now, historical piece of historical fiction on the other hand he because they were divorced not soon after the war right well okay fair enough I think he was that much of a careerist and opportunist. I was going to say that that you know perhaps it it, it did him in good stead to be seen to be using that influence by his higher ups. So even if they didn't really you know they pay him, but he's married to her in the first place. So you know, mm -hmm. but he is seen to use this influence, and therefore. Uh, his higher up say, you know, good boy, you know, you're doing things the right way. Hmm. Um, but if they were, if they didn't stay married after the war, then right. perhaps, perhaps he did. Yeah. 
it just dawned on me one day. I was like, that dude probably took a boatload of money to marry her and make sure that that family survived the war. I don't think he did it out of the goodness of his heart. Perhaps not, but they did survive. I just think that would be a great piece of historical fiction. Yeah, no doubt. It is fiction. I mean, it's not, it's not fiction that right, married no, her, but they the, survived and then they were divorced. The mechanics of making that happen yeah. would be fascinating psychology. Yeah. 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 Okay, so Gergiev. So Gergiev, uh, yeah, and, you know, and, and his his Mazeppa was just you know sparkling, and War and Peace was a bore because <laughs> War and Peace is not a good subject for a. Uh, it's a better read. Yeah. The, Have you read it? I've read it. An opera libretto is that thick. A novel is that thick. Right. That tells you you have to take out that much. You know, yeah. to actually achieve an opera libretto, when you have to, and a leave, lot of that libretto is repeated. <laughs> when you have to leave, out, exactly. If you have to leave out that much of a book, you know, and then you're still left with a, you know, it's even more, yeah. 120 character costume parade of an opera. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's even more extreme than a movie. And the other thing about that experience was that. That one was done with the deep stage drop, the the the, the full with the with the revolve and everything. Oh, okay. And the other two, uh, Kovanshina and 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 Mazeppa, were both done with the um, painted drops, shallow stage, you know, mm. on a, on a rake, right. um, very stylized. And let me tell you, I have not heard a roar in an opera house like that since Sutherland retired mm. and I haven't heard it since wow. the audience it was you know it was Bravo! <laughs> yeah it was that it well, was remarkable yeah sticking in England but really not with opera I'm gonna say and this is my I think my surprise pick Neville Mariner <laughs> yeah yeah and that's a personal pick. I don't think anyone would make a case for him being one of the greatest conductors of all time. Yeah, but I could say the same. He kind of filled the role of being, given my age, my guide to Mozart. a lot of people's guide to Mozart. Yeah. yeah. And he did and a beautiful job of it. Yes, he did. Yeah. And when it came, and when it, it, because it, it found that that balance between the extreme period instrument and Von Karajan <laughs> conducting yeah, Mozart. Yeah, yeah, Which, it actually isn't as bad as you might think. Yeah. Um, but I always, so he, Neville Mariner was reliable to me. I could get I could listen to his Mozart Requiem on Phillips with Sylvia McNair and I can't remember the tenor, Arisa, I believe. Um, and just, 
Francisco Araiza? Yeah. There were just no challenges to... Maybe that. Maybe that's uh, a negative against him, but it was just always easy to listen to Mozart when it was Neville Mariner. Well, one shouldn't strain against Mozart, and when one does, then it's inevitably distressing as well, because the, one of the whole aspects of Mozart's music is that it slips effortlessly past mm -hmm. the listener and, and, and reveals itself and, and uh, art makes its arguments and, you know, uh, casts its rivulets spinning and, and then finds its way back to mm -hmm. the main channel with such effortlessness. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's complicated and, and Mozart's vocalism can be quite poundy sometimes, but, but you've got to make it sound easy. And when people do, yeah. that's when they're accomplishing Mozart. Yeah, I got into a little Facebook exchange about Mozart. I, you know, I told the people in this prestigious, no, pretentious lovers of classical music, something like this, the name of the group. And I was reading some of the comments and there was just this theme of Mozart not being Mozart, like that he was, you know, not a great conductor or composer. And I, I, so I put a post up there. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, to something to the effect of, you're free not to like Mozart, but it's probably best to keep the reasons to yourself so as not to expose yourself <laughs> as, as a world-class Philistine. <laughs> yeah. And so there were some comments, and, you know, they were like, oh, his music isn't complex enough, was one. I was like, okay, well, no one performed his oboe concerto so for what? 30 years after the oboist it was written for died because none of the oboists could play it. So what? You mean, you, you, do you, do you and want... And so I said, and complex music doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, I mean, Milton Babbitt. <laughs> Milton <laughs> Babbitt. God damn it, man. Milton Babbitt. Milton effing Babbitt. <laughs> I know nothing about it. You look him up. I mean, should I? Yeah. Well, you want complex. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I don't. This person did. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. If you want complex yeah. for complexity's sake, I mean, it's ridiculous 1950s computerized yeah. serialism. Uh, okay. I mean, serial cubes yeah. and things like that. It's just absurdity. So Neville Mariner, also a product of the recording industry, over 2,000 recordings. Wow. Well, that's. Yeah. But that also speaks to an incredible... And his British music. His, his Fawn Williams is solid. His Elgar is good. His, you know... Butterworth. Finzi and Butterworth. And that whole group of, sure. you know, pastoral... It's a lot to be said for that group of people. Theories. Yeah. Uh, Delius. Yep. Um, Holst. All right. Well, you've touched on my number... F you you, you co-opted my yeah. number four. Okay. So I, I had actually done a combined... Oh, a combined okay. four and five. Okay. And um, the and and for for this, and that's why I put Carrion down for range. Okay. Range of recordings. He recorded okay. everything under the sun. Almost. Um, yeah. There's some, and the, he doesn't do a lot of British music. Another uh, a couple of twentieth century composer or conductors that really changed the scene and. I could add a third name to that, which be a, would be a little bit, um, I mean, purists would, would argue, but I, I think it's fairly unarguable, actually. One was uh, 
Well, let's see if you can figure it out. I'll okay. give you. I'll mix them up. All right. Seiji Bernstein. Oh, okay. Seiji Ozawa. Okay. And Leonard Bernstein, both uh, fairly virtuosic conductors, mm -hmm. changed the entire landscape of classical music by their work in television. I mean, okay. Ozawa bringing the uh, well, for, first of all, Bernstein bringing the New York Philharmonic to yeah. the New York area with mm -hmm. the kids' concerts at Carnegie yeah. Hall and things like that, and then the omnibus programs. Mm -hmm. I mean, what he did for popularizing classical music in the 1960s and communicating it. He was a fantastic communicator. Absolutely, and he was a great conductor. I mean, idiosyncratic as heck, but a wonderful pianist and a, and a, and, I mean, a, and a wonderful con conductor. He communicated uh, by ver a variety of means his intentions to the orchestra, and they loved him. Mm -hmm. They loved him for it. Nobody, I don't, never heard anybody say I hated playing for Leonard Bernstein. Hmm. I mean, he, it, whatever he did, it worked. And Ozawa, I mean, brought the Boston Symphony Orchestra into an entire nation's homes. Yeah. In 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 a way that they had never experienced it before. Um, but then you can also say the same for Arthur Fiedler. Ha. Yes. You know that 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 bald guy that always used to play the, the, the trap drum set. You know, on the back end, he looked like he looked like the, the Muppet with the glasses. You know, I think the Muppet with the glasses was based on that guy. I don't know what his was name. What's the name of that album? But we got it from Columbia House as one of the free intro. Like you buy ten but for one penny. We got the Arthur Fiedler. Think back to to July fourth, nineteen seventy six. And the Boston Pops Symphony Orchestra playing oh, that's right. the on the Esplanade, in the in the concert shell along the Charles River in Boston, and Arthur Fiedler comes to this little old man with a mustache who didn't even like children, you know, <laughs> okay. but more kids yeah. heard his recording of the huh. Nutcracker than any other he, recording the in the country. Of, uh... Yeah, never worked with kids and dogs. <laughs> um, go away, kid! You bother me. Uh, comes to the top of a building overlooking a crowd of about a quarter of a million hmm. people you know and they catch sight of him and he's getting and this and Arthur Fiedler is getting a hero's welcome because it because they know he's gonna come down there and they're gonna play the, the 1812 overture and the Stars and Stripes forever mm -hmm. That is a service to music. It's a service to classical music. And it's, it's, it's a career that, I mean, he, he conducted a hell of a lot of serious classical music hmm. and recorded it and sold a lot of it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have kept recording him. Right. But um, I don't really think he gets his due uh, for what okay. he did That's in fair. the service. Right. What he did in the service of, of classical music and its popularization is right up there, what probably surpasses Bernstein. It might. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to to put him in context, but it was a big deal. He was a capable conductor who had a hell of a range and and uh, and brought classical music in a serious environment to a hell of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, all hail Arthur Fiedler. So I did book. a combo as well. Oh, did you? I did, but my combo was around a composer. So my Bruckner combo is oh yes, you know one of them. 
Yes. Go ahead. No, let's not. Let's 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 save him for for the. Uh, do your other one first. Okay. So my other. Well, this is my. So I have one. Be so this 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 is a combo. So it's the one that we're not going to talk. We'll talk about later. And Yaska Hornstein. Yasha Hornstein. Yeah, for Bruckner. Yeah, Yasha Hornstein's Bruckner eight is is pretty yeah. damned impressive. Yeah, you, it's he's kind of a. It, That's the one I had on a Vox box recording. Yeah, and it kept me up all night once. I couldn't stop yeah. listening to it. Yeah, I wrote a whole paper listening to that, <laughs> and then, and and then I had to keep listening. I had to put it on. I had to yeah. listen to it because that's like, this is, just, dynamite. And his Mahler ain't shabby either. No, I'm sure not. No, but, no, his Kindertoten yeah. leader is pretty definitive. Yeah. And I should could put like a little sub of Guttervant. I, I like Guttervant's Bruckner. It, um, I, I don't know. No? I, not not so much for me. I want to like Guttervant, but I, I I would have liked to have heard him when he was a bit younger. Mm. Um, it, it's when when I listen to Bruckner, a, a whole series of Bruckner recordings, and I figure Guntervant into it, it's just not quite as dynamic as I'd like it to be. Yeah, like I said, he's over. Yeah, he's a little uh, like a footnote. The fact that he recorded them all in Lübeck Cathedral is an interesting thing. It's a great sound. That's a great sound. It is, it is a great sound. It's very wet, but but I that's what like it. <laughs> that's what fits Bruckner. Yeah, that does yeah. fit Bruckner. Yeah. yeah. So, so I've got one more. To complete my, then should we get to lick balls? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Carlos Kleiber. Yeah, I had a feeling he was going to come up. Yeah, um, he's got to come up. Well, he never really impacted have, me at all. Okay, I mean, but in in <clears throat> the opinion of myself and others, if you've got the definitive Beethoven five and seven, maybe you think Toscanini says. No, that, I, I wouldn't that, say that. I that wouldn't say Kleiber, that. Beethoven five. Is phenomenal. I was actually looking, watching some video of him. I, I, I he, he. But his 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 repertoire is limited as to what's available. Very limited. Very limited. Too limited to make, in my opinion, to make him. But when one you, of the, the to make him, a lot of people want to give him the crown as greatest conductor of the twentieth century. And just I, don't think I don't he think you can do that. Mm-hmm. I mean. You can when you watch him, you can certainly see that he has a force, and an an uh, an eliciting force of person uh, and lightness of personality, which draws things mm-hmm. out. You know his his way his of New Year's Eve his way of leaning in yeah. like 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 this, yeah. and his gesticulations are everything from poking horizontally at the orchestra to. Um, to yeah, he does dr- this, drawing this kind does of, this yeah, this a lot, thing, yeah. and you know wh- where is the downbeat in that? Where where is the entrance in that? And this is getting back to your point about Fortwanger. Mm-hmm. Orchestral entrances are less exact than most people would like to think, because first of all, the signal has to be given, then it it has to the vis- to visually transmit itself and be perceived by the eyes of the orchestra, then it has to be processed into physical action, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. So the conductor is always a little bit ahead. Right. He, he, it's like an organist playing a pneumatic instrument. You know, you press a key, it takes, you know, an, a, 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 a tenth of a second or an eighth of a second, and then you, you hear it come out. You have to play the keys, not the sound. You know, and that's, that, that's something that takes some practice. It's not like a tracker. Tracker, you press the key, you get the sound, just like mm. that. So, Kleiber, 
and I was watching him conduct Flatermouse. Mm-hmm. And his very yump bum bum, you know, he's like bum 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 da da da. Yeah, it's it, it's coming in behind him. Yeah, but, but that New Year's Day concert is of music that is just popcorn, and there's no substance to it, but it's phenomenal. Yes, yeah. No, he he had an uh, a, a a a gesticulative ebullience about him. A, a joie, a joie de vivre comes mm-hmm. through. A, a just a uh, yeah. Um, Traviata is, I, it's great. It's not the greatest cast. I'd say he was probably an example. There, and I, again, I, I read this in, in reviews of, you know, his biographies and things that is he a great conductor or is he a talented dilettante? Because he he's the kind of guy that only conducts the things he likes. That's yeah. not a, prof, a, a professional conducts what's put, what, it, what he's told to conduct. Right. You know, you know what you have to conduct, mm-hmm. and you sing what you have to sing, and you but do what I you have to do. But I almost rather hear people conduct what they want to conduct. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, I've never really made any bones about the fact that I'm a bad professional. Now, I'm not a great artist like like a, a like like a Kleiber or, or anybody else, but but I do have a habit of turning up in the things that I really want to do, and mm-hmm. I'm I I can't, I can't really help that. Yeah. And but if that means that I perform with a degree of joy in, in that right. that I can't muster falsely, well, I, you know, I'm not going to try and fake that. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's your who's your your last your last great conductor? That was the yeah. Oh yeah. So I had um, Fritz Wagner, von Karajan, Neville Mariner. My combo, which which was half of which Horenstein, and the, what's the other and half? Carlos Kleiber. Well, the other half would be Chilabadache. He licks balls. <laughs> <laughs> all right because your combo Leonard Bernstein also literally and figuratively licks balls or licked well yes there's no or so the rumors go so the rumors go yes there are Uh. rumors about Leonard Bernstein and balls 
are <laughs> Malarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. I'm but, just not yeah, a Chelly, actually, I'm just not a Chelly Vidocki yeah. fan. And I, I'm just not a Bernstein fan. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and I'm not. I'm only a Chelly Vidocki. In the interviews, he says Chelibadache, but then everyone oh. says Chelibadache. So I don't know. Um, I say Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. Some yeah. people say Genghis Khan. Right. I, I don't know. That's correct. Yeah. Um, I only like him in Bruckner. See, so uh, his listening, to his, listening is, to his Bruckner so Five to, to me was just really? it, it, it was so disconnected that it, it lost the impetus. Hmm. Uh, I, it was too slow. It was hmm. just. Yeah, it works. The, the line fell apart. Four, five, seven, and eight, I love with him. Um, but then, on the other hand, the, the the recording that I was watching, the uh, gravacion that I was uh, watching, uh, was from later in his career. He, he was quite white-haired at the time, mm -hmm. so I I don't know maybe, right. but you know, Chelly Bidaki falls into. Uh, and again, I mean, we may have ta touched on this before, but Chelly uh loved. He, he insisted on an enormous amount of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. He loved to rehearse, he, yeah. he, and and just like y just Yevgen like Kleiber. and and, and Yevgeny Mravansky, yeah, uh, the Leningrad Philharmonic. You know, he would rehearse for six months and decide it was never going to be be right, so he'd cancel the concert. Mind you, right. that's a way of staying alive in a Stalinist dictatorship. So you know, <laughs> keep rehearsing, just yeah. keep rehearsing. Right. Um, but. Uh, Knoppertz Bush hated to rehearse. He he would he he just like would do a cursory top and tail rehearsal and that's yeah. it. He's like, I know it, you know it, let's do it. And that was the way he right. he liked to be. Off the top of your head and finding some cursory criteria to apply to it. Here's a list of conductors that I think is you know have yeah. is significant and who is who has yeah. who have uh, influenced my my music listening and my music mm -hmm. appreciation. I was. We where, both meant, you mentioned what about Kusevitsky? What about yeah. Fritz Reiner? What about George Shell? What about Ernst Ansermay? What about Stokowski? What about Leopold Stokowski? I mean, what and about Adrian Bolt? Yeah. What about Adrian Bolt? I mean, Adrian Bolt has yeah. probably my favorite stick technique of mm. any any conductor. See, I thought he was going to be on your list. And my and my friend, uh, a friend of mine in England, put this on his actually put that clip of of Adrian Bolt you know explaining his yeah. technique you know and how who's a forgotten conductor oh, sorry I was going to say recently we and he and I had the same conversation mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, it's it's kind of ironic because you know it, it Bolt said he was a very lazy conductor and he only he, you know he talked about how a lot of conductors are very stiff in the wrist and they conduct from the elbow you know and he was like mm. you can do it all with your with, with the stick right between your front fingers, you know, and, and then if you want to, you can bring the wrist into it and for a slashing motion. It's like, I don't want to, you don't want to have to work any harder than he absolutely right. had to. Yeah. But his control over that stick, which he learned from Arthur Nikish hmm. as well. Yeah, he liked the, the big stick too. Yes, very, very big <laughs> yeah. stick. Yeah. But it's funny because Colin Davis, who you mentioned earlier, mm. is quoted as saying, yes, I remember Adrian Bolt saying to me, he said, um, he said, you, uh, you're working too hard, my boy. You've got to use the stick. You've got to, you've got to uh, squirt the juice over the orchestra from the stick. <laughs> so Colin Davis yeah. knew what he was talking about. Right. There are any number of con con conductors that um, that could be mentioned in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many. This is just a cursory. We we, we need to do this again, yeah. and have five different conductors that we haven't mm -hmm. mentioned, and you know why we would. 
yeah. you know, why we would include them. I mean, look at some of the conductors, um, just some of the, you know, the, the secondary conductors at the Met who were, were like Wilfred Pelletier and, and, and mm. Artur Bordansky. Bodansky was a very influential conductor, and mm. and and you know he appears on some major recordings. <laughs> you know, we didn't mention George Zell or Eugene Ormandy. Oh, I just I did mention Shell oh, at the okay. um, well Ormandy again. Yes. Well, I mean I mean I mentioned Reiner and Shell and Anselme uh -huh. and, and right. yeah Shell, uh, uh, Ormandy. Yeah. And the Philadelphia sound, you mm -hmm. know, I mean uh, these. It, it's easy to take that rank of conductor for granted. Well, they're just great. You know, they're just, yeah, they're just great. great. You know, that's that's what they do, isn't it? They're, yeah. they're great conductors, yeah. and they are. Yeah. But you know, it would be it would what we should do is go, like for instance, I remember I um. I'm trying to remember if it was a book or a recording that I, I I came up with once, and it had a an obituary for Ernst Anserme in it, mm, who had, yeah. I, I believe, if, right. I'm not, if I'm not much mistaken, Anserme conducted the San Francisco Symphony yeah. for a while. Mm -hmm. And it was... Yes, he did. And I believe it might have been out of the San Francisco Chronicle, but the, the, it mentioned the fact that Anserme was one of the last conductors. And this was, uh, you know, so it was from the middle 1960s, whenever he died, late 50s or okay. middle 60s, when he, when he passed away. They pointed out Anserme at that point was one of the last conductors who arranged the first and violins on opposite sides of the stage hmm. uh, according to Beethoven's stage directions right. because he wrote them in, in, in stereophonic opposition to each other. The first and second. The first and seconds. Okay. Now, you know, and if you, so when you go to your, your your local symphony and you you hear the Beethoven one or two or three you'll hear a lot of them this and year you, and you and you look where the second violins are is it firsts seconds violas cellos basses or is it firsts seconds violas cellos basses because right. the, there's a reason for having the first and seconds mm -hmm. Beethoven was writing in stereo right. he was writing for this side and then this side and then this side and then this and you, if you put them both on the same side, you don't get that. Right. So, I mean, it's things like that that get overlooked in the observance of conductors that we take for granted. You know, oh, yeah. they're just great. You know, I mean, he was a great conductor, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, just great. So whatever you do, though, don't order a T-shirt that's terrible. Not yet. <laughs> They'll be better. It's a purple rebellion. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a mauve kind of a mauve rebellion. Yeah, it's actually. just a. It's a. It's a learning experience. It's a it's a learning rebellion. <laughs> All anyway, right, let's get it until we until we meet again.